1: Welcome to Counter Charge, folks. I'm Gopher, and this is... Nick Williams. And I'm Rob Phanuff, and as you heard, we've got a few gentlemen from across the pond joining us to talk about the UK scene. So, welcome to the show, guys.
2: Thanks nice for having us.
1: Ya. Well, let's start with an intro, because Gopher, this is your first time on the show. Yep. Give us a little bit of background on who you are, where you're from, and then what's your Kings of War origin story. Okay, dokie. So, um, I'm Gopher. I am part
3: of the... G3 Club in Glasgow, which is the the biggest wargaming um club in Scotland. Um I run a wee uh Facebook group called Geeks Zilla. And I've basically been well, for the last couple of years, I've I've basically been the only real sort of organizer for Kings of War in Scotland. Um as far as how I got into the game, um I started out years and years. I mean, I've been a gamer since I was about eight years old. I think it was AD&D 2nd Edition. Um, so I've, I've been into every type of gaming, uh, from miniatures, card games. I, I even do LARP and stuff like that. I got out the hobby for quite a while. and um, So the miniatures kind of took a, a sideline for a long time. And then I think it was about... About 10 years ago, I started to get back into it again. And obviously, I started off with the skirmish games, you know, small model counts, um, not wanting to do or take on too big a project in case it was just another flash-in-the-pan hobby thing for me. Um, You know, that way as you get older, I I was looking at it I can't be bothered moving that many miniatures about a table. And then I saw Kings of War... And it was the multi-basing and having everything. So it's only like, like 10, 15 elements on the battlefield that you're using. And I was hooked. Uh, it's just it absolutely grabbed me. Um, I, I started multi-basing before I'd even bought the rulebook. <laughs> um, built up my, uh, my zombie legion uh, in the diorama and stuff like that. And I just, as I say, hooked from the first time I played it. Was a bit of a struggle, however, getting a game up here because there wasn't much of a scene. So I have put a lot of effort into um, building that up. I started running tournaments just so I could get a game, and as was always the case with um, To's, we we always end up organising the games and never actually getting a chance to play it. So
1: yeah,
2: that that's pretty always much. That
1: me. Saw, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you guys got kind of, you know you guys have got a burgeoning scene up there.
3: Well. We've got two scenes basically at the moment and I'm trying to get the word out to people who may be in Scotland play and don't have a big circle of players. So within G3, um, since about halfway through second edition, we started building up a a casual scene in the club. So we've got about maybe 15 to 20 players uh, who play Kings of War on a regular basis in the club. And then we've got the tournament scene as well. There's not a great deal of crossover We've got about um, 20 to 24 regular players um, in the tournament scene as well, but they don't tend to be the people who go to the club. So we've got the two the two different sides of it.
1: I mean, it's exciting to hear it growing. Yeah. Right. And and it's, I mean, it's always exciting to be on that, that in going in that direction as opposed to the opposite where. Yeah. We normally use this time for hobby updates, but we're recording on October 26th, which is, you know, uh, the official release. Well, actually the official release was on the 21st. But they did tell everybody you'd have all your stuff by the 26th, and I know there's tons of stores uh, that are having parties and all kinds of cool stuff today to celebrate the release of 3rd Edition. So maybe uh, you guys have take, take turns. Tell me how you guys have found 3rd Edition and, and how it's affecting your hobby. Nick, you want to start us off?
2: Sure. I have been enjoying 3rd Edition for quite a long time. <laughs> um being one of the playtesters, we can finally talk about it because for a long time we weren't even allowed to confirm whether or not we were playtesting. So, so now, so now we know who Keith Randall can go after. <laughs> oh, not again! Not again! Let's not open that can of worms again. <laughs> just, just let you laugh harder. um Yeah, I've been playing uh, third edition for quite a while now. Um, obviously, with a lot of proxies going on. Um, but it's been it's been really fun. It's been really good to see the uh, see the edition shape up. Uh, at the moment, I'm kind of on a bit of a hobby break when it comes to Kings of War in terms of actual painting and modelling, um, just because I have a 40k orc army that I want to have finished by the end of the year. Um, that I promised myself last year I would finish by the end of last year, and didn't. So this year I am going for it again. And we'll probably fail again. After that, I am moving on to updating some of my armies for 3rd Edition. So I'm looking at updating my ogres. And then my I'm going to build a Night Stalker army. Awesome. How about your
1: Brotherhood army? Uh, now with two lists, I mean, are you excited about that potential?
2: I can't comment on that yet.
1: So let's, let's send it over to Gopher. Uh, how are you finding 3rd Edition?
3: Um, I only got my my book a couple of days ago. Um, I got the book, the gamers bundle, and the two player starter set. So I got the the hardback book and the gamers edition book. Um, I've read through the rules. There's not a massive amount of change. I'm quite happy. I'm I'm really liking some of the things that have been done with it. Seems to have made the game as difficult as I find this to say even more um, sort of common sense. Like you know just plays the way i would assume it should my main thing um is just how big the gamers edition book is this time that some of us older folk find it a wee bit difficult to read these wee small books they were given us so it's a bonus
1: that way yeah even the gamers edition is good size in terms of uh you know the length and the width i mean i know they've cut out the fluff but it's a good size book uh where the the text is big enough right and i'm old so i need larger larger print, so it's very helpful. Um, is it affected your hobby at all? Have you, is it re, you know, invigorated you to build a new army?
3: Um, well, yeah. I've, I've got um, several armies on the go for a long time. I'm a notoriously slow painter, um, so I've been working on my undead for years, and that's my main force. Um, I've got a Kingdoms of Men army that I'm doing bits and pieces on when I can, but at the moment, I'm just totally obsessed with my, my Night Stalkers. Um I had been painting up my goblins for Vanguard because those new minis that came out for that are just so beautiful. Um I had a, I had a great time painting up the um the winger. It's just such a nice model to work on.
1: Absolutely.
3: Uh, currently what I'm actually painting is my mind screech for my night stalkers. Um, I was, I, I'm I'm devastated to hear Nick's going with a Night Stalker as well I was trying to persuade everyone not to play them just so I could get best in the faction but.
1: Well, you know, you know, when I heard Adam Padley's playing them uh, I mean, that's it that's it, boys, sorry <laughs> Take another army <laughs> um,
3: Yeah, so I had a fair bit of stuff for the Night Stalkers from the, the Vanguard Kickstarter, so I picked up an extra, like, a, I think it was a pack of 40 of them or something I think when I got that And then I've obviously got the stuff that's come in the the two player set as well So plenty to keep me going at the moment Only thing is I'm going to have to put a bigger base on what I made up as my uh, void lurker Because it was on a 50, it's now in a 75
1: Yeah, that's a few things. I know on my end, I got a bunch of. uh, I mean, I got the super bundle, which is the collectors and the gamers bundle together. And then I got Mm -hmm. three of the two player starter sets that I split with other people. So I am now in the possession of a lot of plastic uh, Northern Mm -hmm. Alliance stuff. Um, But that being said, there are some models that, like my current giant in the Ogre Army, I've got to move it to a 75 inch base. But you know, or 75 millimeter base. But you know, the reality is, if that's my biggest complaint, eh, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to really worry about it. You know, I think addition changes you it's going to affect everybody at least in a little bit of way even if it's just yeah. simply uh, rebasing um fight wagons my orc fight wagons though i based <laughs> them on a horde last time and so i don't really want to have to pop them off so i'm probably just going to run them as the legion be done with it now that they're dash 20 uh fine okay i'll just figure out a way to make them run Mm. Uh, but the orcs are the orcs are very excited. But that's not why we're here today. Today we're here to talk about the UK scene and get in a little bit into the background on the UK masters. So Nick, why don't you give us a little bit of a primer in terms of, you know, the history, if you will, of the UK Kings of War
2: scene. Sure, well there there was always a scene going all the way from First Edition um and throughout that lifetime, but it was very, very, very small back then. Uh, we would regularly have uh, tournaments having to be cancelled because the uh, they couldn't get the minimum six-player turnout. Oof. Yeah. Um, and Clash of Kings, I think the, the record was about 24, 26 players for the, for the big annual tournament. Um, so it was a very, very small scene back then, but obviously second edition landed, it's exploded in growth. And one of the things that the that second edition did give rise to was the um, the ranking system, which allows players to um, to have their have their uh, results scored and put onto a leaderboard, and then also the um, the masters tournament, which if you'd have run it in first edition would have just been the same people who went to Clash of Kings, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the the master scene is quite simple. It's the top 16 ranked players. um, Or if they decline, it goes down to the next available person, the next available person after that, and so on. Um, This was originally set up by someone who's no longer in the scene. um, And since then, it was just kind of ticking over it. No one was taking ownership of it or anything like that um so earlier this year i took the decision that you know what i'm going to put together a group of people and we're going to we're going to take ownership of it we'll put up a new website which is where the cowmasters masters came from um i asked for representatives from across the uk Gopher um put himself forward for scotland um
3: well I don't know exactly if I put myself. No, it was so much well, just yeah. was
2: the only option. <laughs> In <some laughs> uh, case it was the default option.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so yeah, we've got. I think there's one of our people um, made it into the the masters this year. I, there was discussion, obviously, about changing the way that the the scoring works. So he would have actually have been in the top. If we'd gone to the new, um, ranking system, he would have been in the top 16, is it? But he wasn't obviously because we were still using the previous one, but he is, he's, he's on his way to the event anyway. He said, he's going to go. So that should be good to get some, uh, Scottish representation at the masters.
2: Definitely. Um, so it's, it's Simon Heaney that we're about. He's a, he's a solid player. I played him at, uh, at your uh, tournament that I came up for and he's a fantastic yeah. player and he's done really well in the UK scenes mm. that the UK events that he's come to as well. Yeah. It's it's just unfortunate the original scoring system didn't favour the type of events that he was going to. Yeah. Um, however this year he's been able to get a really good score at Clash of Kings. That got him up to twentieth spot on the is it eighteenth, I think I maybe I think he was eighteenth I yeah. Um, but out of the top 16, we've had four people who can't make the Masters. Well, I'm one of those four people, but I'm going to run the event, so um, I won't be playing in it. Um, and so the uh, the spots being, have gone down to the top 20. Um, and so far, we're just waiting for one more person to confirm whether they will be attending or not. I know you've got a lot of data here
1: in terms of the 2018 season, but let's just talk about some of that stuff because you sounds like you had a cracking season.
2: Absolutely. So I am a data analyst by trade, um, so I love getting hold of data. And whoa, 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 whoa. Does that mean you actually work? I just thought you just sat around and painted models all day. No, 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 no. I, I do work. Okay. Hello, which gives me plenty of hobby time. But yeah, being, getting access to the website gives me access to tons of data. So I've been able to start diving into the data. My plan is to release really um, I do don't know what format it will be—but but some piece of analysis, just just looking at uh, at the figures behind the UK scene um, and what it's shaped up like. But I just want to go through a couple of couple of headline figures. Um, the biggest one is that we've seen a massive growth in players for this season. Um, So the previous season, so in the UK, our seasons ran from November through to October, from the 1st of November through to the uh, 31st of October the next year. Um, For the season that went from 2017 to 2018, there were 176 players, um, which is actually a reduction from the previous season of 200 players. So 176 last year. This year, we've actually gone up. To 208 players in England, so that's a, an 18% increase in players that year on year. We've also had Scottish tournaments added onto the rankings, that's taken the players up to 224, which compared to previous years is, is a 27% increase. Nice. um We've also had a, a growth in the number of events, so this year we had 38 tournaments on the ranking system compared to 30 the previous year uh, and this is made up of 31 one-day events and seven two-day events so we've always said that the uk scene is, is primarily one-day events that kind of uh, just underlines that it's 31 events that were just one day and then seven that were two-day events um and this was one of the reasons why the formula wasn't working too well previously uh, because it was concentrating heavily on two-day events. So that's quite good. And that's 38 events up from 30 the previous year. Uh, the downside is that average player counts has actually fallen slightly. So the average player counts at one-day events last year were 14.9. So 14.9 average players per one-day event this year, it's 14.6, so it's a small drop, um, but there was a drop. And that does give me concern that next year, if we put on too many tournaments, it could split, could spread the player base too thin, and we could see uh, player counts drop even further. That's mm. something that I'm going to be discussing with, with other TOs, just to make them aware of this. and um, But hopefully, the, the influx on third edition will more than cancel that out. We should, we should see a, a, a rise in player counts. One of the interesting things that I did uh, notice is that if you um, break things down into the good, evil, and neutral alignments and you look at the results by good, evil, and neutral, um, the number of results do overwhelmingly favour evil alignments which i don't think is any surprise to anyone so this season 51% of results um were players using evil armies and that compares to 16% who used good armies and 33% who used neutral so so <laughs> people like being evil in the uk i suspect that's uh, replicated in the us as well is it absolutely absolutely i
1: i'm just um I'm still just here thinking about you know your growth. I mean, two hundred two hundred players in your scene—that's a good, you know—that's a good amount.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've I've always compared the the whole of the UK scene to a single region in the US. So I'd like to think that that'd be quite a healthy. Uh, that would be the probably one of the larger. I mean, it would be the largest region because I mean,
1: if you take a tournament like uh, or like the South region where we've got Lone Wolf, where you may have you know eighty players, you know. I, I don't even know if they are getting, locally within their region, 200 different players from their from within their region. So, yeah, I think you guys would make a, a heck of a region. Now, now would you actually be able to win the Masters? That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm not,
2: playing. <laughs> <laughs> We've not sent Tom Robinson over there yet, so. Uh...
1: Right, right, right. Or Adam Padley <laughs> or Elliot Morris or, or any of the other really good Northern Kings.
2: Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: Hey, but to be fair, you're the only one that ever shows up. So that's, that's a thing. True. That's, that's true. a thing, right? Part of winning is actually showing up. What's got you excited about the future for, you know, for next season?
2: Well, if I just dip back to um, the uh, alignments for two seconds, sorry, there's one other point that I'd like to make. Um, and this comes down to balance. Now, my data analyst um, professionalism makes me very wary about drawing conclusions from... Um, this much data, there's there's not enough data for it to, to really be representative. Having said that, based on the data um, that there is, it points to the game being really well balanced because if you look at it by alignment, and they are vague groups, this isn't breaking it down by faction because that, that really is too few um, results to really draw any conclusions from. Um, if you break it down by results, the um mix of alignments in both what what people were taking and podiums, those mixes are very similar. So evil was taken 51% of the time and it achieved 50% of the podiums at UK events. Neutral was taken 33% of the time and took 37% of the podiums, and Good was taken 16% of the time, took 13% of the podiums. So those are really, really solid numbers in terms of um, getting those podiums. They're they're very similar, um, and well within any any margin of error there. Uh, So that would point to me as being a very well-balanced game.
1: Brenton Williams did a similar analysis for the U.S. scene, specifically looking at podiums. And essentially what he found was there's no clear-cut winner right there's no like army that's dominating the scene absolutely and I think that's just another example of the game is pretty well balanced I actually think it has you know the army the armies are interesting but the player that's pl- that's running them is more important than the actual army
2: list absolutely that's that's the point that I always try and make and that's the point that I put in big big writing at the top of the uh faction leaderboards is that there's so many factors that go into um How often an army is used, and that just comes a lot of that is down to player preference, model availability. Um, If you look at the leaderboards, that's not generally a a good indication of balance, just because it's weighted so heavily. But if you if you summarise the data somewhat, and I've done that by looking at alignment rather than specific faction, it does point to an overall balanced game.
3: It's um, one of the things I've always used as a selling point when I'm trying to get people to play the game is you don't win it by building your list. You win it by being a better player than the opponent. You know, it's, it's what you do on the table with it, not what you do on the paper before you play the game.
1: Absolutely. This has got to get you very excited about the future. What gets me excited about the
3: future at the moment, I've got two tournaments organized. Um, I've got one coming up just on the 9th of November. And it's a charity event for Macmillan cancer support. And I've got my first ever two day event coming up um, in March. Uh, it's going to be a regional qualifier for Clash of Kings. Uh, so, yeah, things are, that's getting me excited here, but I'm I'm hopeful, I'm very hopeful of a, a big influx of new players from third edition land and, um, I've, I've been getting some new folk into it in the club and they're all sort of holding off, waiting for third edition to come out. And so hopefully now we'll get another bundle of folk joining in.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think there's going to be a, a good influx for third edition. It's it's not going to be anything like it was in second edition, um, but we can, we can certainly see it. I certainly expect to see a noticeable uh, rise in the number of players you know, so before we get to talking about
1: this year's event I do want to go back to this website because you spent a lot of effort on this website and uh, it's got a lot of bells and whistles and I you know first of all what's the
2: URL So it's it is Calmasters that's komasters.com awesome you organized place
1: and maybe just kind of give us an overview of what you were trying to achieve with the website.
2: Basically, at the end of the day, I wanted to, to have a ranking system that um, the committee, that the master's committee could control. Um, the old ranking system, it was there, it was functional, but nothing was being updated. Nothing was being amended. There wasn't much data available. Um, and we wanted to have that that control so that the, the UK scene could control the website again. I, I always want to, to present people as much data, with as much data as possible, Um and that's something that I'm really proud that the, the website does. It shows you all of your history. It shows you all your stats. You can see um, things like armor lists if the, if the TOs provide it. Um, these are all things that were missing from the from the previous websites. Another one of the biggest things for me was having a list of upcoming events. That was always a, a tricky one in the UK, trying to find events near you, and it would, you'd regularly get to the point where you would – um, find out about an event that was happening in a couple of days. You, well, I could have gone to that if I'd have known about it, but there was, there's nowhere for me to really see everything laid out in a logical um, calendar format. So um, on the events page now, you can see all of the upcoming events and there's, wow, I didn't realize there that many. There's, there's five upcoming events in November.
1: And I assume the website also will tell people, you know, how the UK Masters is structured, you know, how the formulas work, you know all the nitty gritty stuff that they might want to know.
2: Yep, yeah, absolutely. When you duck onto the about page, you see um, all about the Masters event and how the site works, how the formula is calculated. But I need to update that because we've um, added on the uh, oh, we've, we're changing the formula for next season. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, looking through it, I've not added George on there because George was a new member of the Masters committee, and I've not added him on there yet either. I need to update this page a little bit, but yes.
1: <laughs> What's, give us, like, though, for the U.S. guys that uh, probably have never visited that page, you know, we, we, we are, <clears throat> I think we understand how our Masters works, but give us a snapshot of how you guys are structured and why are you structured the way you are?
2: Again, you have to, you have to bear in mind that we are a, um, effectively a single region equivalent to a single region in the in the US. Um yes, one of the largest, if not the largest, but um we still don't have as big a scene as, as the US because, you know, we have what what is it, a fifth of the population? I'm not sh- not sure what it is exactly. Uh, we're
1: we're over three hundred million and I'm sure you guys so are
2: five. I don't know. Yeah, so probably about a quarter of it, quarter to a fifth of it. So so our masters event is going to be much smaller. And I know you guys do um Teams events where it's where it's Sort of a team event where you have teams that compete. That's right, isn't it?
1: Our masters event, yeah, it's a team format, but it is still an individual event, and we just at the end we just figure out who which which is the best region mm-hmm. based on the culmination of their individual scores. But uh,
2: sure. Um, we just, we've always run it as a straight, um, just a straight up tournament. So a two day event. With 16 people, that was limited initially by the uh, the size of the scene and the venues that we would be playing in. So the uh, the masses was normally taken at Mantic HQ, which is very limited by space, and 16 was the maximum that you can really fit in there. Um, this year, what we've decided to do is we've decided to go elsewhere for the for the venue because we can open it up. And have people come in and play alongside the Masters. So they won't be competing in the Masters tournament, but they come and have have the gaming weekend. We are opening up the doors to anyone who wants to come along. Uh, We were originally going to run it as a separate tournament. But after speaking to the people who signed up, they'd much rather just have it as a free-form gaming weekend than um, a pure uh, tournament. Yeah, side events are great,
1: and I know we're having our side event for the first time, and that's got a lot of buzz because there's a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun just going to the U.S. Masters and hanging out and meeting a lot of great players from across the country, and it's a great idea, opening it up. I mean, I know it's an invitational event, but having this open event that runs side along with it, I think it, it makes it
2: feel inclusive. Anybody's welcome. Absolutely. that That's definitely one of the things that we wanted to do. We wanted to... to Basically, just d- make it a social weekend. So that's that's one of the things that's always stood out with the Masters event, is just how much of a social weekend it is, And we wanted to open that up to everybody. And I guess that's the real reason why you had to change venues. Yeah. Um, if we wanted any more than 16, then we'd, we'd have to move venues. We couldn't run that in, in Mantic HQ. And where's it going to be this year? So it's at Sanctuary Games. It's a venue where we've hosted Clash of Kings in previous years. Mm-hmm. Uh, really nice venue. It's got. Uh, it's built in an old church. Um, so, suppose the other downside to it is that it's going to be cold. Yeah, drafty in El December. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Hey, so talking to me about you know, I know you guys used to hold it in January. Um, why did you guys change your season and you know, and and that allowed you to move your Masters to December? What was the the motivation for making those changes.
2: So this came down to timing. Um, the, I know the U S has, is going through the same um, decisions, but there's basically three options with the timing of third edition. We could either run it on time in January as a second edition tournament. We could run it as a third edition tournament in January, or we could bring it forward and run it as a second edition tournament. Now, leaving it to January to run a second edition tournament. The Master's Committee felt that that was leaving it too late. Um, Mm -hmm. People would lose interest. It would hold the community back in adopting third edition. So we didn't really want to do that. And so the the options came down to do you either run it in the new year as a third edition tournament, or do you run it as a second edition tournament and bring it forward? And ultimately we decided that it would be better to run it as a second edition tournament, have it to see the edition out. Um, but importantly, people play using the edition that they qualified in. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, and to be fair, I think it also has a, a benefit in future years. Uh, it You would be doing your masters right before Clash of Kings dropped. The annual update does change things a bit. And if you can kind of close out your year and then within a few weeks, here comes the new book
2: and then you start fresh. Well, you say that, but uh we're actually changing the seasons, okay, uh, going forward. So we're actually gonna uh, be running them January
1: to December instead. so would that work though if, if let's say they got the book out at the last week of December, would you be using the new book in that f- next season? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. so I mean it, it's that's good. I mean, I think that's I mean, that's kind of our problem right now is that we we do ours in February. Um, I think historically it was set in February because that's the month that we don't have a lot of tournaments nationally. And it was, you know, even though it's the winter time and, and depending on the location, it can be many, many trials and tribulations to get there. We have that problem where we have a new annual update and then like two months later we have our Masters and we don't really want to use the new book because A, we didn't play with it during the whole most of the season. So uh, it's a tricky situation for sure.
2: Yeah, there's no right answer, is there?
1: There's not. There's just the the answer that makes the fewest people angry. (laughs) Let me ask you, Gopher, you know, with all these changes to the season and moving the the Masters to December, what's got you most excited?
3: Well, this is the this year has been the first year that the Scotland scene has been involved in the Masters. And I think that's just it was basically because I didn't know we were able to um i thought we had to be sort of uh, an, an official um mantic event to get into that sort of stuff into the rankings and things so as soon as i found out we could just sort of submit to the, the 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 committee nick who's um nick's done so much work on this um it is unbelievable but when i found out that we could put our results into it and that would get us going that was great um it picked up a few more players for us I, the change of the seasons isn't really going to affect us because um, we haven't been in it for more than a year anyway so I run three tournaments a year generally um, one at the start of the year one in the middle of the year and one at the end of the year those will go in Um And the season will click over, so it's going to work out perfectly for the scene in Scotland, having the the Masters at that time of year as well in December, because my last events usually end of October, start of November, so it works out well for us.
1: And Nick, I know uh, you guys have a current formula, and you're moving it, uh, you're changing it up for next year, but maybe give us a snapshot of where the formula is and how it's changing to reflect your changing scene
2: sure so the old formula was written before the king's of war scene had actually established itself um, and it was actually based on the old warhammer fantasy scene and the expectations of events in that scene um, so in the uk for, for warhammer fantasy you would have two-day events quite regularly and they would regularly have over 40 players but in terms of Kings of War, um, for whatever reason, I know this has been discussed quite a lot elsewhere, but um, the scene has gravitated towards one-day events. Um, and unfortunately, the old formula weighted very heavily towards two-day events. Not only do you have more players pushing up the points that you can get it at a two-day event, but there was a 20% points reduction for a one-day event. Full stop, and then a further twenty percent on top of that if you only had three rounds instead of four. Um, so unfortunately, that, that that formula didn't suit the Kings of War scene. You would look on the results and you would see, um, no offence to those players because they are they are good players, but there were players who were getting sort of middling results, say uh, fourth, fifth, or sixth two day events, but they were placing much higher than people who were regularly winning one day events because the formula's weighted that heavily towards two days. Yeah. Um, so we discussed it for a long time, and me and Mark Cunningham had some very animated discussions about what the formula should and shouldn't do. And eventually um, we settled on a formula that just has a, uh, um, a five-point difference between one day and two day. Um but then two days do naturally get a few more players as well. So there's, there's still a bit of a waiting towards two-day events, but the gap is much, much closer. And one of the big things is that there's no modifier based on the number of games. So if you want to run a um, an, an event at, say, 2,500 points, you can't fit four games of 2,500 points into one day, not realistically, but um, you can fit in with three games. Well, under the old form, you'd be penalised because you've only got three games instead of four. But now you've got, uh, you you still get your full one-day um, points for it. So overall, it, it just means that those players who, who can't make two-day events, they do get um, a lot more points. And Simon Heaney, who we were discussing earlier, uh, he was the prime example because he's done fantastically at one-day events. Yep but under the old formula he just wasn't getting enough ranking points on the on the leaderboard but under the new one he was he was one of the biggest benefactors um for the new formula and he jumped up to some from i think 18th up to something like 7th or 6th on the
3: yeah.
0: leaderboard
2: something like that um
3: so, just to sort of qualify um, how good a player he is he's won every single tournament I've run um, nobody's even beaten them. I don't think he's lost a game in my tournaments.
2: In, so. in fairness, that's that's because I let him win on our game.
1: <laughs> no, I, <laughs> you were going to say it's because it's people
3: in Scotland. But no, we took him thinking the night before someone did, didn't they?
2: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in my in my drunk in my drunken or hungover states, I literally gave that game up i moved off the objective in the last turn i had it and i threw it away by moving off the objective i just oh why did i do that (laughs) there's no such thing as just a couple up here (laughs) also let's
1: touch on doubles events because i know currently you guys don't um use doubles events in your formula and what and I know you're moving to actually include them in a way. And I think one of the benefits of doubles events is it's a perfect opportunity for a new player to dab, you know, to dip their toe in a competitive tournament scene uh, with a friend that's maybe more experienced. And it's also a way for you to bring, you know, a father daughter can, can play together. And so I, I think there's some really, really good outcomes of having doubles. And I think you just want to reward people do doubles events. So
2: yeah, absolutely. That's that's been a um a thing that people bring up time and time again in the UK is that the um double scene isn't ranked at all. Um and there's some people who feel that that drives attendance down at doubles events. So this year we decided to make doubles events ranked. Um but rather than use the number of players into the formula, we use the number of teams instead.
1: Oh, uh, that's exactly how we do it here in the southeast as well. Can I just to get my head around this? Um, mm-hmm.
2: I've heard lots of talk of
3: doubles events. I take it this is like, say, a two thousand point game, and each player controls a thousand points of the army, or something.
1: That's or- exactly right. Doubles events—you're playing two players against two players, um, and then it could be a thousand, it could be, be twelve fifty each. And typically, they're both uh, both players are bringing armies um and it depends on the event like at our event you kind of treat them as allies um but yeah it's basically you're playing like a full-size game but you've got two people and you each are controlling half of the army
3: um i'm not sure how that would go down up here with us. scene um i think
2: are you, are you say that scots aren't very friendly
3: <laughs> no 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 um there might be a Few head button sessions between players <laughs> to try to decide on what they're going to do, but
1: I, I can tell you firsthand that that is gonna that is gonna happen because I first time we ran the blue sea brawl we had a couple players that we had paired up. Anybody that's ever read something from Larry Essex online, well, we paired him up with Robert Lee, and it was like it it, um, it took them a little while to get their their working relationship together. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I take it that's a diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> Um, Yeah, trying to get people to come along to events um, up here seems to be a bit of an issue. Um, As I say, I've got about a 25-player base for the the tournaments and stuff. If I was to try a doubles event, I don't think I would do it as a ranked tournament to start off. I think I might just try it as part of a, a Mantic games day that I run. And see how it goes, and see if people would be interested in it or not.
2: I think you'll be surprised. I think uh, it will be really popular it's it's a really good way of I, I, I find it's actually a really good way of people getting introduced to the game, especially um in an organized play scene, uh, mm-hmm. like Rob says because it's it's less intimidating you go in with a friend yeah uh, and I know he says about how they they pair people up at blue City brawl. i'm I'm not a fan of tournaments that do that. I prefer it where you. Signed up with a partner.
1: No, typically, blue and brawl. You do come in with your own your own partner. But like when Jonathan came over, uh, he was already he had already gotten hooked up with Kevin. So it yes, that is the preference to come in with people you know. But most events will accommodate you if if you don't have a partner.
2: Absolutely, but it's 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 definitely less intimidating and, and thinking of a good example. Is uh, th- is it Simon that bring, that uh, goes to events with his son?
3: Well, yeah. Um Simon and Campbell, uh, two of our players, tend to bring the sons, and the sons play as a a joint team.
2: Well, that's that's a really good example because uh, they they would um, do well as as a doubles team together. I know John Fox uh, goes to doubles events with his daughter
3: mm-hmm.
2: and really values it as time there. So um, I think you'll be really surprised if, if you try and put one on. I think it'll be quite popular. You know, what
1: one topic that I'd love to have you guys chime in about um it's kind of been one we haven't really dove in specifically but there's some people that have the opinion that if you give an event a rankings moniker like this is going to be a rankings event that that in some way attracts the unsavory crowd or makes the makes a different event and and i i personally have not seen that but i would love you guys you guys chime in in terms of when something is a rankings event how do you see that it changes the event
3: I'll I'll take this one first if you want, Nick. Um, mine was uh, this year was my first year of doing events with Lankins in it, and absolutely nothing changed. Um, it was the same people that turned up. They played in exactly the same fashion. Um, they were just happy that they were getting the the name on the Lankins board. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was seen as even more laid back, if you will, than most of the scene. We don't tend to use, um, or we don't use chess clocks in my events. So I basically give the players two hours and they play out the game, finish it. Um, If the time runs out, both players finish the turn they were on. And I've only ever had one person complain to me about it. And it was two years after the event that he went to that he complained because he didn't want to make a fuss. (laughs) So, yeah, um, I've not seen any sort of um, metagamers and, um, you know, unsportsmanship-like play. I, I, I went to Clash Kings for the first time this year, and every single one of my opponents, super sporting and... We do that thing where it's like if, if you notice a dice that's uh, they haven't seen that's a hit and point it out to them um, instead of hoping that they don't count their hits. You know, that sort of um, just taking the game as a game and playing it for the fun um, over in the over in the, oh, I'm, I'm in this to win it and I'm going to be as cutthroat as possible. So, yeah, it, it's always been very laid back. And I didn't see a big change at all.
2: Yeah, I, I certainly understand where people have, have concerns. Uh, the first thing that I would say is that ultimately, their event doesn't have to be ranked. They we're not, we're not going around the the UK finding, oh, you're running a Kings of War event. Right, well, that has to be ranked. You have to give players the ranking points. No, if, if you don't want it to be ranked, that's absolutely fine. And I'm happy to store the results on Kings of War Masters and just set the... Um, the score gained to zero and it's, it's not ranked, but people can still look at how they did in any, any given events. Um, but I have to say that I, I don't see any, any poor sportsmanship at all at, at Kings of War events. I've, I've only ever had four bad games of Kings of War. And I can tell you how many that is because they are memorable. Um, every other uh, game has been, has been really sporting, really, really good. Um, the, the, I know you brought up the the chess clocks and that's perhaps a um, a bit of a comparison because people worry that chess clocks unduly stress you, that they take away the social element from the game. Um, but I've run, I've been to events that do and do not use chess clocks and there's absolutely no difference in, in terms of how people play the game and how, how sporting they are, how friendly they are anything like that. Um, so it, Again, that's the thing where I understand why people could have those concerns, but I've not seen those concerns played out in real life. And I don't think – and I'm fine if I'm wrong. I'm I'm happy to be – well, not happy, but uh, I don't if I'm wrong. <laughs> it's life. Um,
1: We're it's always going to be wrong um, at some point.
2: But I, I, I don't see having ranked doubles making um, – any sort of a significant impact, any sort of an impact like that. Mm-hmm. People tend to approach doubles events very laid back anyway. And the one thing I would say is uh, it
1: only helps having the ranking moniker because there may be people that are choosing between a couple different events and if they are interested in trying to make the Masters, well they're going to pick the event that has the ranking uh, yep. qualifier. So you know, I, if if anything I would say is it typically helps the events bring more people in.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've had a bit more interest in people since I started doing the rankings and stuff like that. People have been getting in touch with me earlier to to set them up. Um, going back to the, the chess clock thing for a second, if um, I may, as I said, uh, Clash of Kings this year was my first encounter with um, chess clocks, and I didn't notice any difference either. Uh, so for my first two-day event, because it is for Clash of Kings, obviously. I will be using chess clocks at that one, and I'll see if it has any... uh, if the two-day event has any impact on attendance and if the chess clock thing has any impact on it. Because I tend to be very um, communicative with my player base. I'll put up polls on pretty much everything when I'm going to change stuff to see what the player's thoughts are on it and if it's going to make a massive difference. So, yeah... um. Uh, any info I get on that, I'll pass along as well. If that does have an impact on people turning up,
2: sure. Um, the other thing is that even if you're using chess clocks, there's nothing to say that you have to keep times. Um, I don't want to say sh- as short as they are in Clash of Kings, um, but you can certainly make the times longer. I know you have quite long round times in the Scottish events anyway. There's no reason why you can't.
3: Yeah, make it, it. Would, it would be uh, an hour for each player. That's what I'd yeah. be setting that at anyway.
1: And that's totally fine. You want to make the game comfortable for your player base. If they're mm-hmm. players that want a little more time, and your schedule can accommodate, by all means. Yep. So, guys, what what's got you excited about next year? I'm mean, a Panatho. <laughs> <laughs> as Nick Caster's up, he's mouth closed. <laughs> he's just like, Aww. no comment, no comment. No, I, I agree. I think armies of Panther with, with, with Kings of War moving to that historical model of master and theme lists. Oh. Um, I think it's going to be really exciting. We've got locally a, a slow grow league and we've got four guys that have joined that are doing historical armies and uh, working with them on their lists and stuff has been really interesting because I think there's a really unique opportunity where, by by building a theme list, you're sort of also building the master list. And I think there's a possibility where you can build an army that can be leveraged a couple of different ways now. I think that's really, really cool.
3: Um, yeah, the, the master list thing's um, very much uh, appealing to me. I, I like the the historicals book. I never got a chance to play anything out of it, unfortunately. But the idea of being able to sort of define... A smaller faction within the main faction that's very much sort of narrative driven to the way you want to play is it, it, it's another one of those levels that's just takes this game above and beyond, um, this setting above and beyond. Even, I mean, I, I've I went in for the the Kings of War um RPG, uh, I've got uh, Dungeon Saga, I've got Vanguard, and the campaign ideas I have. And again, being able to... If in my RPG, the players come up to a stage where a mass battle, I can tailor the army that they're fighting against or fighting with to exactly what I need it to be. The the possibilities are just endless. Um. Yeah, That's that's um, got me really excited for what's coming up next year.
2: I'm going to be really excited seeing... Um new players and old so i know that there's several people who um played played towards the start of second edition they um gradually moved on to to other games and they're coming back for third edition uh so walt Walt simpson is one of them um i'm really looking forward to to meeting all those new players but also catching up with people who um moved on to other games and uh, are coming back as well that's that's one of the main things that I'm looking forward to.
3: I'm also looking forward to getting to know people a bit better. Um, like, there's people I've only ever spoken to, obviously through the the Fanatics page, but um, that dipping my toe into the, um, the Clash of Kings scene and actually getting to meet some of these folk, it just really made me want to meet more, interact more with people, and going to that big um tournament it really invigorated my hobby as well. I came back and I within the space of a week I'd made this massive um portal of doom for my night stalkers and usually that sort of project would have taken me months and I'd painted other miniatures at the same time. So yeah just um getting involved in the community has made me far more involved, it's like a, a vicious circle almost, you know, the more you get into it, the more you get into it, and it just keeps driving you into doing more stuff and meeting more people, it's great.
2: Before long, you'll be uh, running a blog and website and YouTube channel. It- <laughs> <laughs> My YouTube
3: channel, um, it's unfortunately on pause at the moment, because we lost our studio, and um, we do have one.
1: <laughs> What's your YouTube channel name?
3: Uh, Geeks, Zilla, so um, a lot of people when they search for that, they, they forget the S in the middle so it's Geek S, Zilla Right um, We did a few sort of battle reports and stuff Um, We did some um, Geekzilla is a collaborative thing between myself and a few of my other mates and it's everything geeky so in the, the group we discuss comics, movies the whole sort of geek culture type thing um the the youtube channel tended to be myself and mike um either doing uh, reviews and unboxings or uh, battle the um we are hoping to be able to get another studio set up at some point but my mate whose office we filmed in uh, he moved offices and we weren't able to to keep that going
1: yeah well we need some more content out of scotland uh there used to be a podcast and and uh, sixes to hit which i used to love listening to and so we need more stuff out of scotland
3: the i think the sixes to hit guys are still about was andy involved in that andy meekin
1: I don't know. It's a great question. It was uh it started off as a different podcast. It had a different name. Uh 40K for old men or something like that. And it, and it transformed And I know sixty two hit, I think it's in Edinburgh, I think, and I think there's a there's a store associated with it, I think. Um but they used to have a podcast and it was great. I mean a lot of warlord game coverage, mostly some forty K stuff, and so hey, we're looking for you Gopher to to take this mantle.
2: I'll,
3: I'll I'll see what I can sort out and how much I can deal with. I'll do what I can Perfect. Andy, the guy Andy Meakin was um, he was the pathfinder in Scotland before I took over and I took over basically when he went down to work for Mantic um, so he's back up this way now and he's sort of very involved in helping me out with uh, the Kings of War scene up here as well so he's over at the Edinburgh side of the country Um over in the East Coast and I'm over here in the West Coast. So, where, where exactly are you located? I, I'm in Glasgow. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the the best, I mean the biggest and best city in Scotland. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, well, um, Andy as I see, he's over in Edinburgh on the East Coast um, and then we've got uh, a couple of guys who come down to our event i hold my events in Stirling, which is sort of as central as i can get and also has like the best gaming venue we have in scotland um it's uh common ground games but we've got folk who come down from as far as aberdeen to every event that we run as well so that's uh callan and james dunbar there um down from aberdeen every time so yeah, there's people who come from all over. Hopefully we'll get more folk coming in th- off the back of this as well. So,
1: yeah. That's a great segue into how can folks get in contact with you if they want more information about the scene of Kings of War up in Scotland?
3: Well, I I tend to run everything through the Geekzilla page. Um, I can send you a link to that. if
1: That would be great, and I'll include it in the show notes.
3: But it's on Facebook, and as I say, it's just G W E K S. Zi Double L A, Zilla, uh, and that I organise all my events through that. There's also a Mantic Scotland page on Facebook, uh, a group I should say, and that's more just for the general, um, all of the Mantic games as opposed to just Kings of War. But that's where most of my player bases, um they sort of do the organisation for the events and that. Group.
1: Nick, how can we reach you? I know uh, you're omnipresent. <laughs> How, how could we find Mr. Nick Williams on the internet?
2: So, uh, I guess the, the two main groups that I'm associated with are the Northern Kings. We run um, wargaming tournaments across the north of England. I was about to say north of the UK, but I think uh, Gofer might have something to say about that. Well. <laughs> uh, we we run events across the, the north of, the, of England. Uh, we have a Facebook page for Northern Kings. Um, and then the other... The other thing that I'm involved with is obviously the Masters Committee, so if you search for the UK Masters Committee, um, you will find a page for us as well. Is there anything we didn't touch on, gentlemen? Um, I I owe um,
3: my Canadian cousins a bit of an apology. Um, When I started running the the event as an event for the Masters, so it was um, a ranked event, I changed it from just being... Uh, Geekzilla's uh, um, Kings of War event to King Beyond the Wall on the back of um, like obviously the Northern Kings and then Hadrian's Wall so um, King Beyond the Wall made sense but then I found out they've already got that um, that title for their one, but I'm sure folk won't get too confused, because obviously one's in Canada and one's in Scotland. Shoot.
1: I don't even know what wall they're referring to. Alex and company are just confused. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciated chatting about the UK scene and the Masters, and I'm I'm like everybody else, very excited to see who comes out on top. Any predictions?
3: I have to put my money on Simon. I have to.
2: Oh, oh, sorry, you're talking about Masters. Um, yep. Tom Robinson. Sorry, but... <laughs> No, I'd I, I, I make it a safe, but I'll, I'll say Tom Robinson.
3: I, I'm, I'm backing Simon just because, <laughs> yes, Scotland's going to take it home.
1: Well, gentlemen, I hope you have a great third edition, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon.
3: Well, that's all we've got time for today, folks. Um, thanks for listening to us. Um, I hope to be back at some point soon. And until that point, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening,
0: and we'll see you next time on countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge15 If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin MacLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.